Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another Soul of America radio broadcast. Tonight, your host and co-host are J.R. and Tiki. And in about 15 minutes, J.R. and Tiki are going to join Big Easy or Bo with Let's Straighten It Out. Now, tonight's show is brought to you by Blog Talk Radio and sponsored by the Soul of America Radio. The comments and views that's heard tonight do not necessarily reflect the comments and views of Blog Talk Radio or the Soul of America Radio. And now, without any further ado, welcome your host and co-host, J.R. and Tiki. Good evening, everyone. Today is September the 29th, 2011, and we want to just welcome you to the show. Uh, tonight we have Dr. Bo Big Easy on with Let's Straighten It Out, and Tiki and I will be hosting. And how are you doing tonight, Tiki? I am wonderful, Denise. I think I'm digging the new intro. Did you like yeah, that? Yeah, wasn't it nice? Yeah, that was nice. Very classy. Shout out to Tony for that. That was I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> oh, that's good. How how's everything been? Everything is great. You know, I'm telling you, uh, Denise, I am so excited. Uh one of my favorite things, uh I mean, you know, we all have our little um gadgets or toys or, or things that keep us entertained, you know, whether it be a laptop or iPod or iPad, whatever whatever it is, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite things since Inception has been, and I don't know if you've ever heard of it, it is the Amazon Kindle, the electronic reader. Yeah, I've heard of that. And uh, they uh, just came out with another generation of the Kindle, and it is the uh, Kindle Touch. And I mean, I am so excited. It's on pre-order, and I'm I'm really not a, like a, a geek, you know, a gadget person. Mm-hmm. But because I am a reader, uh, the Kindle, you know, is just like the best thing since sliced bread in my world. Uh, and the thing that sets the Kindle apart from you know all other electronic readers, Janice, is that it has this technology, um, the 3G technology, just like your cell phone. Uh-huh. So you don't ever have to be necessarily uh, hooked up to a computer to use it. It's a very independent device. And Amazon has fixed it where you don't have to pay for the service. It's free. You know how it gets, yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, okay. Once you pay for the device, you don't have to pay. You know how on your cell phone you have to pay for a data service or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, on the Kindle you don't. You just, you know, it's, it comes to you, it's hooked up to your Amazon account, and you just download your books. You can just access the Internet from right there on the device, and you don't have to pay them any data, monthly fees or something. So I am, now that they've come out with this latest one with, you know, the touch screen and all that, I am super excited. <laughs> So you know, I, I posted something on it I posted something on my uh, page yesterday about the iPad. You know, that was for suckers, and how the the new Kindle Fire is for grown people. Okay. You know, I love I love 
you know, number one, the new Kindle Fire is only $199. And I think iPad came out at like four or five, six hundred bucks. Yeah, then when you got it, you had to pay for these data plans and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, cause I'm like, because a lot of PCs, when you purchase them, they have the little trial, you know, windows or whatever, and then it's like, what, 60 or 90 days? And then yeah. after that, you have to go out and buy the whole program. No, no, no. Kindle okay. doesn't not come at you like that, girl. Well, Kindle's made come. for poor folks. <laughs> you know, Kindle is made for smart people. Well, and poor folks. <laughs> like me, I, I, I can attest for that. <laughs> Kindle is made for people that know what to do with their money. That would be me. <laughs> okay, okay. That would be me. But, yeah, I'm super excited about that. So, you know, basically that's kind of what's going on in my world. But what, what's happening with you? Um, nothing much. I had to uh, take my daughters to um, drill team practice, and that's fun. Um, they're over drill right. team practice. I remember those yeah, days. Yeah, they're stomping and... and Jumping and spinning and twirling, and I said, do y'all thing. Do y'all thing. You know what, Denise, that is so awesome. You know, real sincere shout-out to you and moms like you and and Camilla. You know, whenever I talk to you guys, you know, whenever I see something posted by Cam, it's about how awesome Trinity is and and the things that she has going on. And, And you're taking your daughter's places and being involved in your children's lives and Camilla's constantly taking um, the baby to the library and doing just wonderful, wonderful things with them. You know what I'm saying? And I tell you, um, you You know, coming up, um, you know, we used to be told, I I used to be told that every woman needed at least one child. Mm -hmm. And I used to suffer such an anxiety about that because I'm like, I don't have any kids that make me not a woman. But what was deeper than that, Janice, is I have never wanted kids, you know. Not one? I have never wanted children. And when people hear me say that, they're like, really? You know, like, what's wrong with you? And you know what? I've come to accept there's nothing wrong with me. I just don't want children. And it's amazing, when I was coming up and, like, going to school and my circle of friends and stuff, people would always, you know, label me as the most likely to, you know, have a family, get married, and have children. You know, they always viewed me as being motherly. But that came from having a lot of responsibility at home, like because there were so many children in the household, you know. So it kind of became my demeanor. But I have known from a very young age that I did not want children. I've always known that, and, and I could never understand how people could always cast me in the, like, motherly role, you know. And, and what I realized is, you know, it takes a lifetime to get to know yourself. You know, people are like, oh, I know such and such. You know, you don't really know another person because after you spent your life getting to know who you are, you know, once you get that down, I mean, there ain't, there's no bandwidth to get to know someone else so deep or, you know, so well. But you can know things about them. But, I mean, my God, when you start having epiphanies about who you are, that that thing, there's enough. But what I, what I learned and what I realized is there's nothing wrong with me for not having wanted children. Okay. I am generous to a fault. I give you the shirt off my back. I'm generous with things. I'm generous in a lot of ways, 
but I'm very selfish with myself. You know what I'm saying? I give you everything but me. Okay. You know, okay. take it all, but you can't have me. <laughs> okay, okay, well, no, well, motherhood probably wouldn't work out too well for you. It but. wouldn't. It wouldn't. I don't think I would make, uh, I'm an awesome aunt. I am an awesome aunt. My my nieces and nephews love me, and I love them in return, and we have a great relationship. But I think, I, I in my personal opinion, I would be a lousy mom. And, and you know, not a lot of women would admit that. I, I I'm transparency here. I'm very honest about who I am, and that's my limitation. That I don't think that I would be that great of a mom, you know. Well, you'd be surprised what pull children pull out of you. I mean, right. they, they pull they they pull the best out of you. Now they can also pull the worst out of you too. But and I was about to say I've, I've seen that. I've seen kids just pull the worst out of people, and I'm like, ooh, that person did not need a baby, you know. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> and, right. And, and in that regard, I don't think people are, are honest, Janice, about that aspect of themselves. Like, mm-hmm. you know, would, you know, are you a good parent? Just because now I am able to reproduce. Of course I can get pregnant and go like, lay down and have a baby, but that is not all it takes to be a mom. So shout out to you and shout out to Camilla mm-hmm. and all the other awesome mothers and parents, period, out there to have the courage to have these children and and bring them up and shape them and mold them and I could get to hear all this good stuff about them, you know. Okay. Sometimes y'all tell I me really bad stuff too. I really appreciate that. I really appreciate that. That that you know, and and just to thank you every once in a while, we'll we'll go you know go further with a mom, um, especially a single parent. Uh, just having somebody acknowledge, well, I know you, you know, I know you work hard to do what you do, and you know, at least right. you're trying to hold it together. So that's. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Shout out. Um, I Gwen was talking about she had five. I was like, good Lord. I'm girl, so no, proud because it could uh, be me. <laughs> I got four, but I, I don't know. I think <laughs> one more would actually tip the scale in their face. <laughs> but, um, let's, go, let's go ahead and take a quick break, and we'll bring Bo back in just a okay. moment. Okay. All right, awesome. All right.
now the moment you've all been waiting for. Join me in welcoming to the show a segment called Let's Straighten It Out, starring Bo, also known as Big Easy. And Big Easy says, Let's Straighten It Out. That's right, Big Easy will be taking your calls a little later to help you foster healthy relationships. You can call Big Easy tonight at 323-784-9638. 323-784-9638. Now join me in welcoming the man of the hour, Dr. Bo, also known as Big Easy. Tackling tonight. Well, I 
think that what y'all were talking about right before break fits right in. You were talking about being a mother and raising kids and whether or not you want children. We're going to talk about birth order and how that affects our personalities, our relationships and career choices. It's uh, very closely tied to what y'all were talking about because whether or not you want to be a mother sometimes can be influenced by your birth order and your personality. Uh, so we're going to talk about birth order and how that affects. Oh, I'm ready to find uh, that out, Bo. You need to well, shed some light on that thing. I about my birth order uh, first. Can I can I pose the first question? Uh, I, I grew well, I up. Know you're, I know that you're not. You're one of the babies, and you. Well, see, that's that's. I'm almost 50 years old, and all of my my siblings' friends, all they remember, yeah, you're that baby. I'm almost 50 years old. I'm not a baby anymore. I might I be the that. youngest, but I'm not that baby. You know. I'll always remember you as Daryl and Juana's little sister. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> as I'm listening to Tiki, I think she's either an only child or firstborn. So. Me? Yeah. I am a firstborn. I rock. Look at you, bro. Go, bro. <laughs> I am it. I am the firstborn, baby. Well, we're in the same club. So. <laughs> Actually, okay, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm a firstborn and I'm a middle child. Okay. So I know that's that's interesting, but we can get into that later on in the show. I'm going to go and let you do your thing and fill in our audience, you know, on the, the dynamics of uh, birth order. Yeah. Um, oh, there's uh, the most famous book about birth orders written by Dr. Kevin Lehman, um, and he's done a lot of marriage seminars and workshops on birth order. There are several others that are uh, done that, like Cliff Isaacson's and so on. But there are some things that you have to think about when you're talking about birth order. There's been a lot of research to show that this is very valid when it talks about the common characteristics of the different groupings, and these characteristics are lifelong. And sometimes you can tell that if you've been away from home and you go back for a family reunion, it doesn't take very long for you to revert back to your role in that family, and a lot of that has to do with your birth order as well as the birth order of your parents. But although research shows that these characteristics are pretty reliable and consistent throughout your life, there's always exceptions, and that's what I always want to remind people is there's nothing that's perfectly the same all the time or applies across the board to everybody. So... One of the things that Dr. Lehman points out in regards to birth order is that it depends on the spacing or the number of years between children, and typically if it's four or five years between the two children, then they could start that birth order over again. Um, ah, wow. So the spacing plays a role. The sex of the child plays a role. For example, if your first child is a male and your second child is a female, it's possible that they both could have firstborn characteristics because they are the first of that sex or gender, and they could go either way. Uh, their physical, mental, and emotional differences uh, play a role. And a lot of this is influenced by how we, in addition to your chronological order of birth, it also is influenced by how you learn to cope with the situation in your family. If there happens to be a death in the family, which unfortunately happens sometimes, then that can have an impact on the birth order because if it's 
not the first or the last child, like one of the middle children, then sometimes that can change the order because it might bump up the order of one of the uh, younger children. Uh, another factor that plays a key role is adoptions, and that depends on a lot on how old the child is when they're adopted. But uh, interestingly, depending on the age of that child, uh, they might not be the firstborn, but if you have a situation where you have biological children and an adopted child, then it's interesting sometimes to see how that plays out because that adopted child's age sometimes, even though they might be the last child to come into the family, uh, their age would have an influence on how they fit in the order. Another thing that's really important is the birth order of the parents and how they get along and how well they're matched. Um, as well as the relationship between the two parents. And the parents play a very key role because if you have parents that happen to be firstborn, then that first child coming along is going to really catch it because <laughs> firstborns tend to have some of those rigid characteristics and tend to um, be a little on the punitive side, So, um, and they want to get everything right. Um, interestingly, with my parents, my father was the baby of the family, and he was treated that way, even as an adult. <laughs> and my mother was what they used to call the knee baby, or the next to the youngest. And so because of her being a lot more mature um, than my aunt, who was the youngest, and there were several years between them, it ended up like two babies married to each other, which was kind of an interesting thing because although my father was the youngest in his family, he had a lot of those rigid firstborn characteristics that I swore I would never have when I grew up, and guess what? Now you find yourself with him. <laughs> I had a rude awakening with my youngest child. He was probably about four or five years old. He said, Daddy, you just like Granddaddy. <laughs> that is a rude awakening. <laughs> Out well, of now, the mouth of babies. So, parents that are very critical, uh, that can have a role in it. And what's more common now is blended families. When you have people getting married or getting into relationships and they bring children in following death or divorce and you have step family issues, all of those things have to be taken into account. But what you'll find is that those basic characteristics or pretty consistent uh, throughout. So, uh, you know, if you look at the, there are a lot of similarities between the firstborn and an only child, but a lot of the research has shown that the only child has kind of gotten some characteristics of their own uh, because of the fact that they don't have anybody in the family as far as siblings to compete with. And so, unfortunately, a lot of times, if you have an only child, or a firstborn where there's more than four years between that firstborn and the next child, you basically have a little adult on your hand. Uh, the That's only true. child learns to be independent. Um, they are the focus of attention, and depending on how rigid or how flexible the parents are, then they learn to be very mature. Oftentimes they're high achievers and self-motivated because they have these high expectations to live up to. And if you're an only child, a lot of times you're going to tend to be a little cautious and not want to take risks because 
you've been in a role of having to try to please your parents and you don't want to be the bad child. You don't have anybody to blame or to pass things off to. At least I had two younger siblings that I could blame or they used to gang up on me because <laughs> I was a lot older than them. Um, but there are some other characteristics of an only child. Um, they tend to sometimes see things as black and white. It's either right or wrong, good or bad. There's not always a lot of in-between. Um, That's true. So sometimes they tend to go to extremes and to be extremely perfectionistic uh, about things. Um, they don't like to I wouldn't say that, Bo. I would say they were particular. <laughs> well, particular, perfectionist. I would say they're particular. <laughs> I mean, because I think uh, what I have found is being firstborn, I think mm-hmm. parents, um, what they try to do is make these, they're experimenting on us, Bo. You're right. Well, you're the first one. Exactly they're trying to it. figure it all out. And if you were, had one of those parents that followed Dr. Spock, who later admitted he didn't know what he was talking about because he never raised any kids, you know, parents do the best they can with what they have, and they typically are going to use techniques that they learn from the family that they grew up in. Uh, so if you're a firstborn or only child, you do tend to be a little rigid about things because of those high expectations that your parents have. And sometimes you have higher expectations of yourself than maybe even your parents or other people do. Um, And the only child tends to relate better to older people or um, people because a lot of times they find themselves with adults. I see people that have an only child and they spend a lot of time with that child. And so a lot of times that child picks up some more mature characteristics simply because of the fact that they have that attention with their parents or spend a lot of uh, time with adults. But there are a lot of similarities between the only child and the firstborn. In recent years, the researchers tended to separate them out because before they were just kind of locked in uh, with the firstborn. um, Some famous people that are an only child or Bill Clinton, uh, James Earl Jones, um, Lawrence Fishburne, and Robin Williams. And so if you look at some of those characteristics, if you think about some of the things with Clinton, um, the thing you have to realize is some of those characteristics can either be positive or negative. It's not all bad because sometimes people that are firstborn are very high achievers and very successful in life. They're able to overcome a lot of obstacles sometimes because of some of those uh, firstborn characteristics or an only child characteristic. So that's the only child. The firstborn has a lot of similar ones. Uh, They do also tend to be uh, rule followers. Um, They want to do things right and be recognized for being right. Uh, They are perfectionistic or particular, as you say. <laughs> they tend to be very reliable and conscientious because they've had a lot of these expectations um, placed on them. They tend to be very organized and um, they are very self-driven and hard workers. Uh, firstborns tend to be natural leaders because they are they want to be in charge and they are used to being in charge. So a lot of the characteristics that you develop as a firstborn turns out to be leadership characteristics, and so 
there's more of a natural leader in firstborn. We also very controlling and very critical. Uh, we tend to be more serious about things. Um, firstborns tend to be pretty academically inclined. Uh, they're very logical or analytical in their thinking. Uh, they don't like a lot of surprises um, and tend to uh, get more into things that require logic and analytical kind of thinking where you have uh, control over things. So firstborns tend to be a little bit more concrete in their thinking and things you know, need to be a little structured and organized. They don't like surprises, as I said earlier. So those two have a lot of very similar characteristics and some famous uh, firstborn people are Bill, uh, Bill Cosby uh, and Oprah Winfrey or all firstborns. Arsenio Hall is a firstborn, which was kind of surprising because a lot of comedians tend to be the younger child or the baby. Yeah, the baby. Yep. Yeah. So. yeah. But, okay. you, know, I, you know, you may not believe this, uh, Dr. Bo, but it's the absolute truth. And I know the listeners may be like, oh, she's not telling the truth. But um, the birth order book, um, the one that's why you are the way you are, that mm-hmm. book is uh, is is not a new book. It's a very old book, and I happen to have it. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting things I read in that book was about the relationships between a firstborn person and a younger person, mm-hmm. like someone that was the baby in the family mm-hmm. married to someone that was the firstborn in the family tends to be the most interesting and dynamic. <laughs> Well, that can be, uh, that's one of the um, complementary matches because they complement each other, and but that a lot of that depends on what how many siblings they had and the order, the gender of the siblings. Because um, if you have a firstborn male and a uh, lastborn female, uh, there are some complementary things. But if you have a firstborn female and a lastborn male who has some stereotypical macho kind of thinking, then they can butt heads. But that's one of those complementary matches where the firstborn and a younger child typically are more complementary of each other and able to get along a little bit better than others. Well, hey, guys, we're going to take a quick break right here. And when we come back, Bo, well, before we leave, let me ask this question. Um, What dynamics would an absent parent put to the mix of the birth order? Okay, we'll cover that out the break. Okay, then. Coming up Tuesday, October 4th, 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. It's called Totally Taboo, starring host Tony and Took. These brothers lay it down taboo style. Think you can hang with them? Well, step up your game. Bring your taboo talk to Totally Taboo, October 4th, 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time, Tuesday, with TNT on the Soul of America Radio. From coast to coast, east to west, 
Don't you dare touch that down. This is the Soul of America Radio. Children. So 
if you think about an absent parent, it's just like having an absent limb or losing some, one of your senses <clears throat> that the rest of them have to compensate. Yes. So depending on how successful that single parent is at managing those responsibilities alone and compensating for the absent parent would depend on how much of an influence that would have on the children and on birth orders. And uh, But oftentimes when that's the case, the older child has to take on even more responsibilities than they would have if the um, other parent was present in their lives. Right, right. But that's very important to you know, have a balance <clears throat> in the situation. But, um, but that's you know my take on that. And it's a good take, Bo. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> It is, I think it's absolutely true, though. I, I think that's very uh, impactful on families. Go ahead, Janice. I'm sorry. And I'm just going to be honest. Um, I was thrust into the role um, to to have to overcompensate. So, you know, it, it gets tiring. It really does mm-hmm. because, you know, you don't have that extra line of defense, you know, somebody you can play off of. Mm-hmm. In the relationship, as far as you know, presenting a united front when they see me and they know I'm weak, they they already know. Okay, we can get her today. <laughs> but uh, you know, and sometimes like, kids will, you know, interestingly, when two parents are involved, you have splitting. You know, where the child will go to the parent that they think is most likely to give them what they want. Right. And if you have two parents there, at least you can kind of unite and make a decision about how to handle that, but unfortunately sometimes you might have both parents physically present, but one still might cop out and, you know, not provide that support. You but are. if you're an only parent, if you're a single That's parent, the then you got to deal with all of it all the time, and you don't have a break and you don't have anybody to buffer you, so that can be very stressful. How does that play out in adulthood and the ability to, get past those things. You know, I, I always, there's a little saying about, you know, childhood is what we spend the rest of our lives trying to get over. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so how, how really is it considered, I mean, just a healthy thing that at some point in your personal maturity, uh, no matter your birth order, that you are able to get past or, be made whole for the things that you lacked um, as a child, for instance. And the reason I ask this is um, my dad wasn't there. He and my mother divorced when I was eight, right? Mm-hmm. So, but I, during the time that he was there, I was a daddy's girl, very mm-hmm. much so. So his absence was his absence was very marked. Okay, mm-hmm. I adored my daddy. You know, simple as that. If he couldn't do any wrong, da da da. You know, whatever. I adored him, but mm-hmm. there had to be that, and there did come a time in my life where, you know, I went through these stages where I was, uh, I missed him a lot, mm-hmm. um, and then I was angry at him for not being there, and then finally, uh, and, and I don't know if this just healthy maturity or it's just compensation, where finally, and it's only been in recent years, both that I got to the point where I said, you know what. For all that my dad was or wasn't, one thing I have to love him for is that 
He is the person that God saw fit to be my parent. Because mm-hmm. I always look at that as a union, your mother, your father, and God, you mm-hmm. know. And, and with God being the ultimate decision maker about who is it that will give you life, right? Mm-hmm. So in, in following without that. Without him, there would be no you. <laughs> because Without him, there would be no me. So mm-hmm. if if for me, the father that I have is the one that God saw fit for me to have, how mm-hmm. can that be imperfect, even if he was uh-huh. absent? Right. But, you know, if he left when you were eight, you had eight years of, relating to him, and by that time a lot of foundation was laid, and so that could be pretty devastating, you know, for a child to deal with that. And it takes time to come to grips with that, and sometimes you don't come to grips with that until adulthood, if at all. A lot of our emotional struggles, a lot of times you could be 30, 35 years old before you finally reach a level of maturity to let go of that. A lot of that depends on your individual personality and how mature you are and how you deal with emotional issues. But sometimes that takes years to come to grips with because it depends on how you cope with stress and pain. And if you tend to suppress it or to hold it in, then it might take longer for you to come to grips with that. But it varies from one person to the next, but if you have that many years of interacting with both parents present, then that could be pretty devastating to deal with at eight. Because a lot of times when there's a separation or divorce, the children tend to blame themselves or figure there should have been something I could have done to prevent this and not realize that it's strictly a decision that the parents make, and it's never going to be the child's fault because it's the parent's responsibility to take care of the children. But a lot of that depends on how mature a person is and how willing they are to confront that, how aware they are of some of those things. A lot of times you see people that have problems in their relationship, it might be because they have not come to grips with the absent parent or conflicted relationship with one or both parents, but a lot of that gets back to that person's individual level of maturity and how well they can confront some of those things. And hopefully at some point, even if parents separate or divorce, that there can be some reconciliation, but a lot of that depends on how the parents get along after that separation or divorce because Mm -hmm. if parents stay together fussing and fighting all the time, that actually can be more traumatizing to the child than if they get divorced because you're constantly dealing with the stress of the conflict and you're well, constantly and, wondering when they're going to leave or if they're going to leave. Or and then you have that leave, level of a of a bad huh? example. You have a yeah. you have a bad example, you know, in their face. Right. Uh, when my children were much younger and um, I was going through the process of a breakup. Mm-hmm. I had spoke to one of my ex's uh, relatives, and I was just telling her, you know, we weren't going to make it, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I told her that, uh, and she told me, rather, that, well, you know, your kids are young right now. When you get to be, you know, when they get to be teenagers, you're going to really need a man around to help mm-hmm. you control them. And I, I agree with that to a degree, but then I know so, too many single mothers that have done very good jobs mm-hmm. uh, raising their kids to be very uh, productive citizens. Yeah. Balance and well, well, yeah. You know, and like I told her, I say no example 
a bad example is just as bad as no example in a lot of instances. Because at least with no example, you don't have anyone for them to pattern the bad behavior off of. Mm-hmm. You know, so. And a lot of it depends on how well the parent that's left behind copes with the separation and divorce themselves. Because if they are able to deal with it in a healthy manner, they're more likely to model that to their children. But if they can't cope with it and don't deal with it well, that can aggravate the distress. Uh, that the children experience and can create all kind of problems. So there are so many different variations that depend strictly on the individual, and you have to look at that on a case-by-case basis. But uh, there's a lot of validity to the fact that you need both parents involved, but you need both parents doing things that are healthy and right. Sometimes people can do more harm than good by hanging around and being abusive and irresponsible and disruptive, especially if they're abusive to the children. Um, and so that gets into some people staying in relationships uh, for the wrong reasons and um, create more harm than good for their children. You know, I made some very emphatic statements um, at the beginning of the show about motherhood mm-hmm. <laughs> and my aversion to being a mother. I'm going to have to go back and examine myself and see if that has anything to do with my relationship with my dad. If so, I think I'm going to be upset with him all over again. I'm going to be back in the process. <laughs> well, it may or may not, but I think, to me, that it's a healthy thing to be able to say, I don't want children. There's absolutely right. nothing wrong with not wanting children. Sometimes Good. people get children for the wrong reasons, and they <laughs> probably shouldn't have them. Um, all you need to have to be a parent is to be physically healthy enough to reproduce and make a baby. Uh, right. That does not make you a good parent. Uh, there right. are some, you know, There are some folks that you probably would be a divine intervention if they were sterile because then they <laughs> wouldn't add to the troubles of the world. But I think it's healthy to be able to say and to feel okay about not wanting children. I think that parents need to decide what's the reason that you want a child because sometimes People can have children for the wrong reasons. You know, a lot of young girls, uh, we have a program that works with pregnant teens. And a lot of these girls intentionally get pregnant because they think, well, I'll have something to love me. They don't think about the responsibility that goes along with raising a child. They just think, well, I'll have something to love and to love me. And then a lot of times these kids end up being abusive because once they realize that, you know, once the honeymoon's over, there's a lot of responsibility. Responsibility, yeah. You can't just, you know, send this child back. Uh, so people need to think about why do you want to have children, and I think it's healthy if you recognize and, you know, appreciate that because it sounds like you're still doing things to nurture other children. And so you right. can nurture and love children without being a mother, um, and you can be mothering without having children. So I think it's healthy to be okay to say, well, I don't want children. I think that people, I'd rather see someone say, I don't want children and make efforts to not have them than someone who's ambivalent or have them for the wrong reason and end up not being a responsible parent. Right. And, you know, Janice, a funny thing is I hear people say, in particular when the girl, you're going to meet somebody one day and you want to have his baby. <laughs> Yeah, and I, no, and, I, and, and to this day, I'm like, ooh, maybe I haven't just loved enough, <laughs> you know. 
Maybe well, I ain't missing what I love, them, but that's absolutely not true. That is yeah. not true. I have not loved with you know these limitations. I don't. I don't think it has anything to do with me not loving the person enough. Mm-hmm. I think it's just being strong enough to say, I don't want children. Yeah. Well, that's, that's good. That it's it's better to, to know yourself in that manner, like mm-hmm. both said, rather than to get them here and then say, Ugh, uh, <laughs> "Can I give I them back? Who, who wants them?" People need to make an assessment of why they get into any relationship because whether it's being a parent or just getting in a relationship, if you do it for the wrong reasons, it can be a disaster. It can be a disaster. Yeah. I agree. Well, let's see if we I can agree. get the middle and the youngest kids in before we run out of time, and then we'll have some time to finish up. The middle child is a really interesting child, and, again, it depends on how much space there is between them because, I'm four years older than my middle brother and six years older than my younger brother. And so you basically have two groups where I was kind of a firstborn only child for four years, and then my middle brother has a lot of those middle characteristics, but he's also very responsible and has a lot of those firstborn characteristics because of that four-year gap. And I have very vivid memories of him coming along. But back then, you know, babies were born at home, and I can remember right. being put outside and having to stay outside, and you come back in, you hear this noise, and you look in, you see this wrinkly little baby, like, where did he come from? <laughs> right, right. And I have vivid memories. You're not finding out today, kid. You know, when I was, you know, about five years, he was a little baby. I can remember my mother getting oranges and squeezing the oranges and making orange juice. And she thought it was neat for me, being the oldest child, to help her squeeze the oranges, but then the baby got the juice and I got the leftover orange. I'm thinking, what's wrong with this picture? (laughs) 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 But, you know, in that regard, being the oldest boy really do indirectly teach you to look out for your siblings, your younger siblings. Take care of them. It did me. Because I was four years older, I was always having to look after them. When I wanted to go out and have fun with my friends, I had to take them with me. Right. Well, see, now, Bo, I, I, I was 12 years younger than my siblings, and mm-hmm. uh, I was resented a lot of times, and then they would use me to pull pranks on the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother Daryl once had given me, a, you know, the little small Coke bottles. Mm-hmm. He gave me the Coke bottle, and evidently he was motioning for me to hit my brother on the head. And me being two or three, I did it, you know. <laughs> and my brother, he woke up, and he said, girl, you better be glad you were standing there looking innocent. He said, otherwise, I'm going to tow you up. <laughs> But then my brother, my my older brother, he started laughing, so he realized that he, had, you know, coached me up to doing it. And I'm looking like, well, I didn't, you know, I can't apologize for something I don't remember doing. And yeah. okay, yeah, I hit you with a coke bottle, but I'm sorry, I didn't, you know, it wasn't my intent. Yeah. But, uh, yeah you know, they, the middle child tends to be more the peacemaker, negotiator type. They're very flexible and diplomatic. Um, they sometimes can be very attuned to the needs of others because they're looking at the older and the younger. Um, right. They sometimes tend to be a little rebellious and don't follow authority because they see that the, it didn't get the firstborn very far and didn't keep them out of trouble. So sometimes they can be a little independent. And oftentimes the middle child tends to focus more on their peers and their social relationships than they do with their siblings, and that's so that they feel like they have their own space and their own place 
in their uh, relationships. Uh, they tend to be com- very competitive sometimes, uh, but they also can be chameleons where they kind of, you know, go along to get along, you know, and sometimes that can go overboard with them. Um, but, you know, those are the middle children. The youngest child tends to sometimes um, be more socially outgoing, more laid back, but they also can be more dependent um, because they've been taken care of or they kind of got the parents got the attention on the older kids and the younger kids are kind of overlooked sometimes and allowed to get away with stuff. Uh, they tend to be more unconventional. Uh, they tend to be more risk takers. Um, yes. They come, you know, they can be more <laughs> sensitive. But, and a lot of, interestingly, a lot of the comedians are firstborn. I mean, the youngest, uh, Eddie Murphy, Jay Leno, uh, Billy Crystal, Steve Martin. They're all uh, the babies in their families. Um, but I think Martin I, Lawrence is too. I think he probably might be. But if you think about, you know, the youngest, you know, by then the parents have um, learned on the older kids. They still might not have it right, but a lot of times the youngest are kind of protected from some of the mistakes that the parents have made because, you know, they've had other kids to practice on. Uh, but sometimes the youngest can parents be the ones that are... Tired. Huh? <laughs> yeah, they're tired. They're just tired. So they're trying to get to the to the youngest child. They're tired. They don't care. You know, okay, you're not playing with a knife. Okay, that's fine. Right. But I think that you know, again, it depends on the the spacing and gender and all that. But if you think about big families, um, I've got some cousins. They had twelve children. Man, um, please. And they said cheaper by the dozen. <laughs> But the interesting thing about it is they had been married for like about five or six years before the first child came along. And my college roommate, he had ten children in his family. His parents had actually adopted a child because they thought that they couldn't have children, and then they turned around and had ten. But it's really interesting to watch my cousins because they have 12 children, but that family is so close. When I go up to visit them, um it's not a day goes by that some of her kids don't come by to visit her. And I mean all of them. They all live in the same little town, but uh, they are so close as a family. And you see that through multiple generations. Even the younger children in the family have seen that modeled for them throughout their lives, and so they have those same kind of characteristics. But a lot of it depends on the family size, whether it's a few children or a lot of children. And if you have a large family, then sometimes you'll see the cycle repeating itself where some of the younger children uh, might start cycling. It usually goes through maybe four or five uh, if you have more than five children. But uh, you can see a recycling of those birth orders if you have a large sibling group. But it's really interesting to look at families and to just kind of observe. Uh, one of the things that when I do um, a lot of training, one of the things that I test and it's been proven over and over again is if you're working with social workers or people in the helping profession, a lot of them are firstborn or only child. And I do a, a workshop on birth order, on family systems, and when I ask people, you know, the race I have of you or the firstborn or an only child, 
it never fails that more than half of the group, if you're looking at social workers or psychologists or people that are helpers, is not uncommon for a lot of them to be firstborn or an only child. Mm, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah we're not off, Bo. We're not off. <laughs> <laughs> We're not Look, we're not all and we're protective, and we're you know. I, I find it work. The only you thing I disagree, you like, you, you like to butt into into the younger siblings' uh, Kool Aid. Yeah, we we have to. It, it's the way we're made to be. in that position, and you know, you just get used to being in that position, so you end up doing it. I, I my wife teases me every time I tell her that I'm getting involved with something. Oh, Lord, here we go again, because she knows that <laughs> it won't be long before I'm going to be in charge. Right. And a few years back, I thought, you must be crazy, because I stopped and thought I was president of four different groups at the same time. And I said, uh-huh. you need to resign from some of this stuff. And I did. I, just, I called. I said, I'm going to pick one thing. But I was president of my fraternity, 100 black men, and two other groups. And I said, this is just absolutely ridiculous because it was just too much. And so I had to start saying no. And that's one of the things that the firstborn uh, has trouble with sometimes is saying no. But Not you know, me. People can, you know, people can take advantage <laughs> of that sometimes. <laughs> Not me, Bo. I have found my no button. <laughs> well, I've learned, and it's you know, but you know that really surprises a lot of people when they because now I am very selective about what I choose to do. I still am involved with a lot of things, but there were a lot of people that it really caught them off guard when I said no and set that boundary. Sometimes you have to. Right, you have to. Yeah. Well, guys, that looks like our time is out. We're 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 done. It's really? been a good night. It's been a good night. Some interesting softball. Thank you. Well, I've enjoyed it. Well, I don't like I, to wrap baby gifts, but, you know, I guess I can live with it. You know, I'm, I'm more laid back like that. So. <laughs> well, it takes all of us to make it work. So. Well, Bo, I want to really thank you for taking the time out to come. and night has come to the end on the Soul of America yeah. broadcasting. We want to thank you That's for joining cool. us tonight and hope that you enjoyed listening. Be sure to join us Monday at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time for another episode of On the Grill. Also, Tuesday features Totally Taboo at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time right here on the Soul of America Radio. And, of course, always be sure to join us back on Thursdays at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time for Let's Straighten It Out along with Big Easy. And now, to take us out, here are the hosts for the night... JR and Tiki. Okay, guys, I'm still trying to get the hang of this board. Um, <laughs> That's all right. The red light blinking, so I'm okay. Uh, but I really want to take the time to thank both for coming to visit with us again and giving us all this good information. Uh, if you have questions that you'd rather pose to him, to answer on the show, you can uh, email him at bo at soulofamericaradio.com. And uh, Tiki, do you have anything to say? 
No, just that I had a ball tonight, guys. And, uh, you know, Bo is always awesome. I learned a lot, you know, more about birth order. And it's just been a good night. I had fun. I just, it took the edge off of my day. So thank you. Great company, guys. Okay, well, thank you for coming out, too, Tiki. We really appreciate how strong you've been on the show since the beginning. So um, to everybody else, we'll see you guys on Monday on The Grill.